0: So we come to quite, a, quite an interesting passage um, uh, in John's gospel. It's part of a number of sayings that are attributed to Jesus throughout uh, John's gospel. We know them as the, the I am statements and what's really interesting about them is that they get to the, the very essence of what John is trying to do with his gospel and that is to show us that Jesus knew who he was and that is God and his divine nature from the, from the very, very beginning. And these I am statements are, are clear indications of it. Jesus is very clear in his own mind that, that he is divine. And this I am thing takes us all the way back to chapter three Of the book of Exodus when we find Moses stood at a burning bush and this bush although it was burning it was never fully consumed and then there's this voice that comes out of the bush which is a a call on Moses life and Moses is wondering who's there who is this and it's the voice of God himself and God says I am who I am And that's where we get our our Yahweh or or Jehovah. These words, I am who I am. And it means that God is is self-existent, self-sufficient, that God is self-sustaining, that he has no need for anyone or anything. um, But that we are in need of God. We are dependent on him. And I am who I am is the essence of, of Jesus uh, making these I am statements where he says, ego, emi" in the Greek, I am. So when Jesus makes these statements, this time I am the, the light of the world, he's making quite a, a bold statement uh, in and around the people, especially the, the Pharisees, who we'll get to in a minute. But to put this into context, and where it sits this is a an ongoing narrative although it's been divided up into chapters and um, it probably starts around the start of chapter seven right through to probably the end of of chapter eight and as a biblical scholar and um, we might have issues with uh, chapter eight verses one to eleven i don't know if you've got your bibles with you if you take a look it might be in italics or it might have brackets round it there'll certainly be a note in the footnotes which will say that that this particular section was not found in the earliest of manuscripts now that's not to say that it didn't happen and there's nothing in there that's heretical or goes against uh, Jesus's mission or the way he acted it's just that we probably think it didn't happen there But as the manuscript was put together, they put this, they've inserted it into this longer narrative. But we open up our passage at verse 12. We find ourselves at a time where the Jewish people are gathering in Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacle. And as part of the the celebrations for that, there would have been many people carrying big, huge torches, um, in the in the darkness this this light that would have been uh, illuminating the the path up to the temple it would have been wonderful and it's there as a a reminder and a representation of when god was guiding his people uh, in the wilderness um, for the 40 years where he used the, the the pillars of fire and cloud to guide his people uh, through the wilderness equally during this particular feast and there would have been a wonderful uh, massive candelabra um, set up and it would have lit up that whole part of the temple and down into uh, the city of jerusalem it would have been quite an amazing sight for the people that were there as they are looking uh, at these amazing lights in the darkness and they're reflecting on the fact that god is their guide and it's here that we find jesus probably looking around at this and seeing it, and it's where he makes this statement. I am the light of the world. All of this stuff, this representation, is wonderful and it looks great. But I am the light of the world. It says in verse 12, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life jesus is saying in and amongst all of this i am the light of the world and that's why i'm here and this idea of light being tied to to god's work is found if we go all the way back if you've got your bibles we go back to the opening of john's chapter chapter 1 and in verse 3 we read that all things came into being through him And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus is that light that John is speaking about in the opening to his chapter. And Jesus then says that, Those who follow me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's essentially saying, those who know me, who accept me and are willing to follow me, well, they are going to walk in the light. However, those who who reject me, those who don't know me, those who choose not to follow me, Will find themselves in a, a spiritual darkness that that needs illuminating but they find themselves in this darkness and it's incredibly important that we we remind ourselves of what this actually means to us because we might start to deceive ourselves we might start to think well i know it all i've i've, I've read all of these passages in the bible i i i know what what i'm all about i know that uh, jesus is is my my savior but we need to accept jesus into our life not just in a a kind of wishy-washy crutch way you know that that i was reading something through the week where um it was a, a well-known atheist who referred to our faith as a crutch um, it's not about that it's about being able to fully grasp and fully grab hold of the fact that Jesus is the ultimate rule in our life, that we've chosen to to fully devote our life to Jesus. So we prepare for remembrance. It's a bit like a a soldier um, who listens to their commander. Or how about if we are in need of, of some advice, we might Get alongside a, a good counselor to help us work through uh, these things together. Or, in the same way that we need to follow the, the laws of our country, um, or there are consequences, we need to follow the rules and the laws of the kingdom of heaven that are made clear to us in God's word and in the person of Jesus. But Jesus is clearly making quite a quite a powerful statement when he says that I am the the light of the world, and that it's through him alone that that people can receive salvation. You know, we live in a world that is becoming more and more uh, pluralized. You know, there's nothing wrong with diversity, but to make a statement, an absolute statement, that that Jesus is the only only way to to God. And he does say that, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one will come to the Father except through him. But these statements can really jar with us because we're surrounded by such um, pluralism. And it certainly jars with our society because it goes up against it, that there would be an absolute truth. And we see a lot of it at the moment. You know, you you live your own truth. You know, I've got my own truth. Well, truth is universal. It's, it's either true or it's false. And sometimes, just because you believe something to be true, doesn't mean that it's it's right or that it's true. But the thing is, we might have that usual phrase that's thrown out, you know, all roads lead to to God, which means that you can follow whichever path you like. It's usually trotted out by people who are unwilling to tie their their flags to the, the mast of Jesus as their Lord. However, Jesus makes it quite clear that it is through Him alone that we are able to know God and to walk in this light and have life, rather than walking around in a spiritual darkness. So the thing is, we actually have two options here. The first one is that we can reject it. Um, The second is we can accept it. Both are are your prerogative. God is never going to force you into making that decision. It is entirely up to yourself. But Jesus is making it clear that He is the light of the world. He is God amongst us. We'll think about that as we wait throughout Advent, coming up quite soon, and as we'll celebrate at Christmas, Jesus coming into our world. Well, we've spent far longer than I was expecting on that first verse, but we will continue on. So verse 13, we find the Pharisees have made up their mind already. They've already, they've decided, they've made their decision. It says in verse 13, then the Pharisees said to him, You're testifying on your own behalf. Your testimony is not valid. The Pharisees, to put it mildly, they're not convinced. They're not convinced. They're also probably quite irritated at Jesus and what he is saying. This is part of the Feast of the Tabernacle. There are hundreds and hundreds of people around, possibly even thousands, still there as he's making this statement in and around in a very public way. The Pharisees are not having it. They're not having it. They say your testimony isn't valid. You're testifying on your own behalf. That can't happen. Now, the Pharisees thought that Jesus was either a a liar or he was a, a lunatic who needed to be got rid of. He was certainly a false teacher in their eyes. They saw him as a false teacher. And now they're saying, your testimony is not valid. So therefore, your teaching is not valid. They're trying to make a point in front of the crowd that have gathered. They're trying to discredit Jesus and his teachings. But Jesus answers them straight away. And he says, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. Because I know where I've come from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. This is a, an extremely bold move by Jesus to confront the Pharisees in such a way. You know, the Pharisees are probably quite taken aback by this because they're not used to anyone kind of challenging them in this way. This would have normally have worked. When they said your testimony is not valid, people would have tended to walk away. But Jesus is bold and says, my testimony is valid. You don't know where I'm going. They're trying to trip him up. They think that they've got him. They think they've managed to catch him on the the law, which does state that you need to have at least two witnesses, corroborating for it to become valid. They're saying, you don't have that, Jesus. Jesus. You're just here by yourself. But the thing is, they don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And that they actually had a third option when they looked upon him. You know, the first one is he's maybe a liar. The second is he's a false teacher. And the third is, what if he's telling the truth? What if he is telling the truth? Maybe he should be listened to. But the Pharisees didn't even contemplate that third option. They'd already made their mind up. They didn't think that he could possibly be telling the truth. So they reject him and they failed to see him as the Messiah. This Messiah who had been prophesied long ago in the texts that they would have read, and I'm using this word on purpose, religiously, they would have read them religiously, Known them inside out, through Isaiah, through, through the, the, the Psalms, all throughout the Old Testament, Jesus being prophesied as the Messiah. And they failed to see it because they're in darkness. They needed the light. And the important thing for us is that we don't shut ourselves off, just like the Pharisees did. That we reject certain things without allowing God to illuminate it for us for us. The Pharisees were very, very clever people, very clever people. They knew the the words in the the sacred texts better than than most, but they didn't fully understand them. They didn't fully understand them. They're walking around in this darkness, and here's Jesus coming and saying, I am the light of the world, and trying to illuminate the truth to them, illuminate the Word of God to them, but they're shut off from it. They're now trying to argue with Jesus on the basis of the Bible, the law. That's a bad move on their part. Try and challenge them on other ways, but really, you're going to challenge them on His law? And side note here, I've let you know on many occasions that John's gospel is my favorite gospel. I'm not sure if you're meant to have a favorite, but I do. And John's gospel is my favorite. Well, Jesus' favorite book in the Bible clearly was Deuteronomy. You know that book that we read all the time? That was clearly Jesus' favorite book. He quotes from it all the time. He quotes from it all the time, clearly Deuteronomy was his favorite. And Deuteronomy chapter 19 is where we're going uh, here. So it's Deuteronomy chapter 19, at verse 15, way back in the Old Testament. And it says here, A single witness shall not suffice to convict a person of any crime or wrongdoing in connection with any offense that may be committed. Only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be sustained. The Pharisees are saying, Look, you and your testimony is not valid because there are no other witnesses around to corroborate it. But Jesus continues on in verse 15 where he says, You judge by human standards. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, interestingly says your law, your interpretation of it, it is written that testimonies of two witnesses is valid. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. Jesus is saying, according to your law, the way that you see it, in a fleshly way, it needs two people. Well, here I am, and the Father advocates on be- my behalf. I advocate on behalf of Him. Two. Two witnesses. These Pharisees are trying to be clever. But Jesus knew all of this. And he says, I have two witnesses. You know, there is me and my father who sent me. I am the light of the world. And I am trying to illuminate this to you. Jesus recognizes his divinity. He knows his divine nature. He and he says to them, You judge by very human standards. You judge by human standards. And I think there's two ways of of looking at at what Jesus is saying here. The first part is this direct challenge to the Pharisees to say, look, you judge people in a very fleshly way, in a very human way. You certainly look down on people. We know that they do that. They certainly look down and judge them that way. There is also the fact that they, they cast judgment in a legal way. They were the religious leaders and Jesus is saying, I don't do that. I don't judge people. Not in that sense at all. But I think there's another way of looking at this. And it's where Jesus, I feel, is saying, that's how you judge people. I don't judge people yet. I don't judge people yet. Let's go back to chapter 3 of John's Gospel. Verses 16 and 17, those well-known verses. So chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but may have eternal life. And then into verse 17. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus is saying, I don't judge anyone yet. You know, this part of God's work is all about salvation and grace and mercy. And there will come a point where Jesus is the ultimate judge, but that's in the last day that we read of in the book of Revelation. Jesus is saying that that day will come, but at this moment in time, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to be the savior of the world. I am here to be the light to the world, to illuminate God's truths to the world, that it might not be in spiritual darkness, but into light and a fullness of life. You see, the Pharisees thought that they had managed to trip Jesus up. They'd went to their go-to, which was the, the thing that they knew inside out, the law. And I'll tell you what, I, I, give, I give them all the credit in the world because they never give up. They just keep going. They keep trying to trip Jesus up. They've accused him of being a, a false teacher. He's invalid. His teaching is invalid. They've maybe tried to portray him as a bit of a lunatic. Um They think they can trip him up on the law, and they fail there. So you can imagine that they're probably getting quite frustrated at this point. They're ready to to really lash out. And this is where they show their most human side possible. Because they go for one more, one more shot. And you can almost hear the sneer in their voice as they utter these next words to Jesus. In verse 18, they say to him, well, Jesus says, I testify on my own behalf and the Father who testifies on my behalf. And in verse 19, they say, Where is your Father? Where is your Father, Jesus? You can almost hear sneer in their voice. If we go ahead in chapter 8 to verse 41, we're able to read that they, they go for slander. We read, you are indeed doing what your father does. And they said to him, we are not illegitimate children. We have one father, God himself. Clearly, this snide remark to Jesus about Jesus' father is to try and put a black mark on him as a person. They've attacked him as a teacher. Saying his teaching is invalid. They now trip, try to trip him up in his knowledge of the law. They fail. So his testimony is invalid. And now they attack him as a person. That he, as a person, is somehow irrelevant, illegitimate. You know, rumors have obviously gone round uh, about jesus being born illegitimately born out of wedlock the pharisees are saying to him where is your father jesus joseph clearly isn't around anymore he has probably died he was he was he was older um, than mary was he probably died and he's not around anymore so it's just mary and jesus and his other siblings The rumor would have been round that that Mary had had her eldest child out of wedlock, um, and Jesus' real father isn't around. No one knew who it was. He's illegitimate. So they've tried to paint him as a, a false teacher. They've tried to use their own law against him. And now they're trying to use slander and rumor mongering to try and discredit Jesus as a person, to shame him into running away. And the thing is, how often have we been on the end? of that kind of treatment where people are trying to tear us down. They probably use a similar, a similar tack, you know, they maybe attack our character based on their own perceptions of us. They might try and paint us in a bad light, even although they probably know it's not true. But if that doesn't work, they might try and lord it over us with uh, their knowledge of a particular subject that maybe we're not quite as proficient in. They'll use their own perceived knowledge to attack us, maybe their own self-importance. And if that doesn't work, they might go to that place, that very human place of gossip and trying to dehumanize people. We've seen a lot of that over the last few years. And regardless of what we think of the actions of particular politicians or celebrities or whatever, there's a tendency to dehumanize them and forget that they're human beings. We all make mistakes. Unfortunately for them, it's on a very, very public platform, so they get called out on it. And bad behavior and poor decisions should get called out, but. We need to remember that people are human beings. But how often have we been on the end of that? You know, they maybe see what we do, and you become the role. You know, as a minister, I'm aware of that, that people maybe tend to forget that ministers are human too. They might be dehumanized, they become a a caller, or they become a, a, a role. But it can be really difficult to keep ourselves going, when we're coming under these kinds of attack. And sometimes we might even fall at the first hurdle. When we know that someone has been painting us in a bad light, we might look to run away. Not Jesus, though. Not Jesus. Here's his response. While that judgment from the Pharisees is still hanging over the crowd that are looking on, Jesus answers and says, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. That statement right there, where he's saying to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that time, he says, You don't know my father. He is effectively saying to them, You don't even know God. You don't know God. You know all of these fancy words, but you do not know God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who was prophesied about the person you've read about. And I stand amongst you, and yet you reject me. I am who I am. I am the light of the world. No one would have dared say anything like this to the Pharisees. In fact, not many people would have even have dared to think it, never mind say it. They would have looked at the Pharisees and thought, they've got it all together. Look at them. The most holy people that we know. They are able to recite the the Bible at will. Look at them, perfect. There is absolutely nothing of God that they do not know. And yet here's Jesus firing straight back at them. You don't even know God, because if you did, then you would know who I am. And I am the light of the world, brought into this darkness. So not only is Jesus challenging the Pharisees in quite a direct way, let's read on in verse 20, where he says, He spoke these words, while he was teaching in the treasury of the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. We're reminded here at the very end of our passage that Jesus does this in front of everyone. He does this in front of everyone. This is what wasn't in some secluded area of the temple where Only a small gathering of people were allowed to be in. This was part of the temple where everyone was allowed to be in. There would have been a lot of people still there, and he could have been arrested right on the spot for what he said to the Pharisees. So why wasn't he? Well, we read, because his hour had not yet come. It would certainly come in about six months' time after this particular altercation, but there was a level of protection upon him at that point because his time had not yet come. You know, I've said it before and I'll say it again, that God's timing is always perfect. We might not always understand it. It doesn't always make sense to us. But God's timing is always perfect. And at this point, it hadn't yet come for Jesus to be arrested. You know, he would be in a little while, he would be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, taken away, tried in the darkness of night at fake trial that would eventually lead him to Golgotha all the way to the cross not to condemn the world but to save it from darkness. That the fullness of God's light and life would be on offer to everyone for everyone who chooses to become a devoted follower of Jesus, for it is he who is the light of the world. Let us pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the the light of the world. We thank you that you shine that light into our world, that we no longer have to walk around in a spiritual darkness. And Lord, we do pray for for all those people that we care for and all those people here in our part of the world as they continue to walk in that darkness. We pray that your light would be so bright to them. And we pray that you would use us, that you would use us to shine that light out into the world. That more would know of your love for them, your offer of salvation and grace, forgiveness and mercy. Again, Lord Jesus, we devote ourselves to you and we devote ourselves to your service. We pray that you would use us to bring more people to you. And we offer this prayer in your precious mighty name. Amen. Amen.